0: You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Got
1: another dude! Hey!
0: What's
1: better than this? Guys being dudes. Dudes to the right. Dudes to the left. Stuck in the middle with you. Got another dude! Heisman Trophy. Bronco Nagurski Award. Ultimate dudes. Got another dude! O-Line you Bunch of Dudes. Lot of dudes. Yeah,
0: another dude in the house. Yeah. Welcome to the Lot of Dudes podcast, presented by Fourth and Dude, season two, week ten. It was more like the Miami Hurricanes on Friday, as BC knocked off the U on Red Bandana Night by a score of twenty-seven to fourteen. The Eagles improved to six and two on the year, three and one in conference play, and officially control their own destiny in the ACC. On today's episode, we'll recap how the Eagles blew the Canes off course, talk being ranked part 2, and break down how the dudes can keep it going against the Hokies.
1: Matt, what a what a win on Friday night. You know, we always know the red bandana game makes alumni extra special, but between that crowd, the complete team performance, and coming away obviously most importantly with the win overall it was just a really impressive night. And again, like you said, most importantly, we control our own destiny and the road to the ACC goes through Chestnut Hill.
0: BC, this BC football team is officially exactly who we thought they were uh, two months ago, right? When we were breaking them down uh, in the the season preview, we said, all right, these are the guys that are going to be high impact players. These are the units that are going to play well. Um, Talk about just an absolute complete game by all of our stud players on both sides of the ball. What a win. Great coaching. Just just absolutely everyone showed up and what a time to do it in the red bandana game against a foe like Miami.
1: Yeah. It almost, I mean, the only, the only negative I'll have is it's almost a little frustrating because we saw how good we looked and we saw, you know, again, like I said, how complete the performance was. It's just a little frustrating that we couldn't do that in Raleigh or, I mean, I guess we needed, would have needed a lot of help in West Lafayette. But, you know, if you look at the the games we've played so far and the, and the, the, you know, best performances we have put out there, there is just no reason that we're undefeated. But again, the past is the past. We can control what we can control, uh, and it's time to look ahead.
0: Well, here's the deal, though, and let's just get into the game here. You know, you really got to talk about the offense first and foremost, and really the play calling, right? Yeah, you talk about the trick plays. You talk about the Jeff Smith play that literally we run every single—I think we're undefeated when we run the Jeff Smith play. It's it's unbelievable. He's such a good quarterback. It's, it's such a weapon. It's never not worked. But I guess part of the reason, right? You can't do that against everyone. And, uh, and we'll get into it. But, you know, would it have been nice to see it against NC State? Yeah, I guess. And, and obviously, we know that we have the potential to play like this. So, like you said, it makes that loss hurt that much more that we complete, completely laid a you know complete egg that first half. But I don't know. And it's going to be one of the questions going forward the rest of the year. It's all right. All right. We, we kind of just emptied the uh, the kitchen sink, right? Or the cupboard. We threw the kitchen sink at him, however you want to say it. Yeah, no, um, that, that makes sense. Do these guys, you know, does the coaching staff have any other tricks up their sleeve? Or now that we're kind of fully, uh, you know, we kind of gave everyone all the film they could ever need.
1: Well, if you if you listen to, uh, you know, coaches postgame press conference, he, he mentioned many times we have a Rolodex, a quote, Rolodex of trick plays. And basically, it's not going to stop anytime soon. I think he even said it in the halftime interview, running off the field to to Holly Rowe. Yeah, so he
0: said he said specifically he's got he used a few of them, but he's got one in particular that he has yeah, left. Which, so yeah. you can feel Virginia Tech kind of shaking in their boots there. Right. Uh, but talk about a, a way to open up the game. Um, you know, the D gets a, a huge stop. You know, defensively, and then. Uh, the offense just storms down the field. It was like a, a ten-play drive, eighty-eight yards. You know, just just absolutely looking like an electric offense that we haven't seen really since we played Wake. So, um, great way to set the tone for the game. And it was hard for Miami to really come back from that after that, really. right?
1: And again, that that first drive again started with AJ Dillon officially saying, you know what, I'm back and running for whatever it was thirty yards off tackle. Uh, a couple trick plays, mi- you know, mixed in, and it was it was absolutely perfect. Only – I don't even say want to say negative, but, you know, there is still a little bit of room for – in terms of how we finish on offense. So we had a couple drives in the uh, second half and I guess a couple of the first half as well where, you know, we got in the red zone or we got down there and, and we couldn't finish the job. Uh, again, that's going to work against 99% of the teams on the schedule. This is more – prognosticating against how we need to look to to you know beat Clemson or or teams like that but you know a couple bad decisions by Anthony in terms of some of the throws but got lucky he only came away with the one pick so the turnover chain stayed fully quiet except for when they were already down 13 in the fourth quarter. But again, A.J. Dillon being back, it is incredible what his presence does to this team as a whole. The entire opposing team just has to pay attention to him, and he's, he's such a game changer and one that I, I haven't seen in B.C. in, in maybe my entire uh, decade of, of fandom.
0: Yeah, and I guess one play in particular really sticks out. Uh, second quarter, second and long, right? We're probably on their 30-yard line. He gets a half half-back, halfback sweep uh Miami's all over it he's like he's seven yards behind the line of scrimmage guys are surrounding him he he literally makes 10 guys miss I counted him Matt I was watching the replay I counted the guys 10 guys miss turns it into a 20 yard gain and and you know for anyone that thinks Dylan is strictly a power running back you know that's uh that's a <laughs> you can't make that mistake he's got quickness up there with the best of them and I'll, t- I'll tell you Matt he is obviously the key and, and you know we, we it's not really a you know, shocking news here, but he's the key to this offense. I mean, they stacked the box against Dylan no matter what. He's probably only playing at 75%. And here's the other thing, too. Um, I don't know if Miami was doing this intentionally or if I'm just more aware of it. But he got hit low, I think, every yes. single time. Yep. Scared, every single time he got the ball, it scared the crap out of me. But talk about a guy that just kind of put the team on his back a little bit. Despite the injuries, You could tell he was playing through the pain. Guy is just a monster.
1: Yeah, so, so two things. So that, that run you talked about, that's a run that, like, if your friend does that and you're playing him in Madden, like, you throw the controller across the room because it just defies logic. It's basically like a glitch. There's absolutely no reason he was not down for 10 yards there uh and then on the low hits the one in particular that really stands out was i think it was in the it it would have been in the fourth quarter i believe um it was by far i think the worst one of the night or at least you know looked the worst guy basically came i don't want to necessarily say it was a dirty hit but it was at least in that neighborhood uh aiming for the knees hitting him low great hit aj gets up you know basically says to the guy good hit whatever puts out his hand as a handshake and the you know miami guy is is you know, trying to get all big and tough in his face. You're down 13 with about three minutes left. Just absolute punks, as we expected on on this Miami team. And, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. But, you know, basically they care more about the turnover chain than actually winning ballgames.
0: Yeah. Tell you what, though, I, I like these guys playing with, with attitude. Yeah, oh, it's that's not really a hallmark of, of a BC team. But there was a different play where uh, uh, Dylan got hit kind of late. And he he got in the guy's face, and by that by then the game was pretty well in hand. But and then you had you had Zach Allen who was kind of making fun of the turnover chain right. in his post game conferences right. in the conference. But talk about just playing with an edge and, and playing with an attitude that we haven't really seen all year. I don't know. We we don't really have much going against the Hokies. I gotta I'm gonna try to get some bulletin board material out of those guys and and try to get these guys hyped up because they could, they turn it into a completely different ball game. We saw it against Louisville and we saw it again, obviously, um, more impressive against Miami. But. Uh, Talk about just giving giving these guys bulletin board material, and they they back it up. Yeah, 100%. we really
1: we really need that. You're you're absolutely right. We gotta maybe maybe we can uh, you know make some like fake Virginia Tech player Twitter accounts and just kind of make some some false flag operations here to to think that they're talking trash. I don't know what it's going to take. Um, only other note I have on the offense that I want to mention is the offensive line. They, as a unit, were an absolute monster all night long. All we heard coming into this game was how good Miami's run defense was. And, you know, I think statistically they were top 10 defense in college football, something like that. And our front just got pushed against them all night long. If you look at, you know, the pro football focus rankings that basically grade each play and each performance of the individual players over the course of the night, Most of our linemen were basically at the top of our list. Our guy, Ben Petrula, was, I believe, leading all of the scores across, you know, both teams and and all positions. But again, all we heard coming in was, was this Miami defense is going to be a real test for, you know, our offensive line. And, you know, our guys stood up there and, and passed the test with flying colors. You talked about it a little bit earlier of how this was kind of the team we envisioned at the start of the year. I think it starts with, with what we're seeing out of these guys. In our losses to Purdue and in our losses to NC State, there was not the push that we wanted, and I think right, rightly so. We were asking a lot of questions, but they uh, they certainly put you know a lot of the haters down pretty pretty loudly on on Friday night. Uh, just a tremendous performance, and, and one that we'll need to continue this success throughout the next four games.
0: One sack allowed that's uh, that's pretty damn impressive against uh, what's statistically at least a top two defense yep. coming into that game. Exactly, um, and and you're right. That's been somewhat of a question mark, but it does seem like they've gotten a lot better. Um, and, you know, credit the coaching staff for making some adjustments, right? Moving, moving some personnel along the line, throwing some additional tight ends in there. And that's the other thing, too. I think there was a point like midway through the game where six tight ends had a, had a catch, something ridiculous like that by the second quarter. Um, to talk about, you know, spreading the ball around. No one had more than three catches, which, you know, if, if you, if you hear that, you think it's, you're kind of concerned about it, but, um, you know, it's more of a credit to we have a ton of guys that, that can contribute. We throw additional blockers out there. And I think Brown is starting to show some de- development, going through the progressions and finding the open guy. So, um, you know, if we can keep that going the rest of the year, that's really exciting offensively. Only other thing, we touched on the on the trick plays already. I know Mark Richt is kind of new to the ACC. He's kind of new around here. But we run the Jeff Smith play every single red bandana game. <laughs> he had 14 days to prep. That's all you got to yeah. defend that. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. But credit credit Adazio and I guess Lawfler, But yeah, you know, credit Adazio for um, you know just an absolute chess match. So you, you throw the the first one right, which is an out to uh, to Brown and then the second one it's it's a reverse and then smith has uh Travis Levy who just c- completely got lost cuz everyone was uh was trying to cover brown cuz i figured it was the same exact play and so levy gets loose it, i'll talk about chess while uh while you know Miami's playing checkers but that's that's who coach Diazio is and um you know he used the, the 14 days extremely well to prepare and uh just an absolute absolute perfect game in my mind offensively and so, defensively too, I, I have nothing. I really have nothing bad to say about either unit, Matt. They everyone played so great. Yeah, so you, so you know we're big
1: nickname guys on this podcast. Obviously, we're the ones to bring you Tony Touchdowns. Who I'm glad he's turning back into Tony Touchdowns. Uh, a few others. I got a new one for you here, and I, I tweeted this out on Friday. I would love to kind of get your candid thoughts on it. So obviously, late in the fourth, we were up two touchdowns adazio goes for it on fourth and seven he's been much more aggressive uh throughout this year and really over the back half of the last schedule and you know i think we've seen the positive results so i'm trying this one out again i personally love it there's an accompanying accompanying gift that goes really well but i'm going with stevie bignuts uh mm-hmm. i think he you know absolutely put his uh put his stuff on the table and said look i'm here to win the acc i'm here to be an aggressive head coach and it's won me over i was a doubter last year he's completely won me over uh, so I don't know your thoughts on that, but I, I personally think that one's going to have legs.
0: I'm in. Although here's the deal, Matt. Sometimes we have games where he does do that and he, he puts those on the table, but this is going to be the game plan every time. So I, I just, and I know everyone's going to turn on him the second that we have a different game plan against Virginia Tech against Clemson. So I just want to be careful. I want to put a bookmark in that one and okay. make sure that, that we stand by that a, uh, a week or two from now. How's fair, that?
1: Fair point. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so you were going to allude to the defense here. I think they were absolutely phenomenal. I think, you know, quite frankly, they they overall were were a shining star more than the offense was. They had, you know, two not great defensive drives in the first half that led to touchdowns, but they absolutely slammed the door shut in the second half. So here's, here's how the drives went for Miami in the second half. Pick, pick, punt, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. This team has only given up seven second half points over the last three games I was against NC State. And, you know, if you look again through the units, just everyone was phenomenal. Obviously, the Sack brothers were uh, in the backfield all night like they always are. Two more phenomenal picks by the secondary. The one by Ham Cheever's Accords was, you know, an all-timer with the, you know, pinball, the way that thing bounced around. And then he took it back to the 15. And then the linebackers had far and away the best game they've seen out of this unit all year. McDuffie, Strahan, and Richardson were all absolute monsters all over the field all night. Uh, McDuffie has turned himself into an absolute stud uh, over the last couple of weeks, but just absolutely loved what I saw out of the entire unit. And if I'm a team, you know, on our back half of the schedule here, I am, I am very afraid.
0: Yeah, no, just to, just to echo all that. I'll say Zach Allen's officially the best DN in college football. So I, don't, good. I don't care oh, what anyone so says. He was fighting through triple teams, not even double teams anymore. Um, uh, but still to, to, get through those blocks and get to the quarterback, you know, he's not getting there every time, but the QB can you know, Ruggier could could feel him coming every time, and he affects every single play. Um, He was he was in there, uh, along with Max Richardson, to, to set up that HAMP uh, interception. You touched on the linebackers, right? But those guys are, are officially, you know, back as, as the top three unit uh, in the ACC that we expected them to be preseason, along with the defensive tackles, who, you know, collectively held the running backs to three yards a carry. You know, Miami did have 150 rushing yards, but – most of those were actually QB runs, and not to nitpick, but that's that's got to change, right? Yep. We can't allow those those. You know, it seems like every third down and long. Not every, but there were quite a few times where there was third and long, and uh, Miami's QB was able to convert right with his feet. So to nitpick, that would be that would be one thing we got to work on. Just throw a spy out there, but otherwise, you know, the the run game, the true, you know, stopping the running back and fill filling the gaps has been sort of a, a point of contention all year for those guys. So they stepped up huge there.
1: Yeah, and and, and we and we mention this every now and then, especially when these guys come up. But it's worth noting again, Connor Strahan is just like such a good-looking dude. It, it is borderline unfair that he is now playing at this high level again. Like it's, it's one of those things where you have to have some deficiency. So that's kind of my only negative, I guess, about their overall performance. But again, always worth noting anytime he comes on screen.
0: Matt, that's a good point. I'm glad you said that. Um, so moving on to the secondary here. Um the the, the DVACs, like you said just deserve a ton of credit. It was it was funny the first drive of the game. Miami had a couple uh, a couple throws to the outside and they have like a six six. I don't know if he's a receiver tight end, but he he caught just a toss up to, uh, against Hamp and Hamp got in his face afterwards or whatever. And, and it was like a a full foot height difference between Hamp and this other guy. And and I saw that. I thought we were in for a long night. but um, And there was another uh, touchdown, right? Miami's first touchdown was just kind of, I'm bigger than you type of thing.
1: Right in the back but, of the end zone, yep.
0: But after that, they were all over these guys. And, um, you know, it's a team effort, right? So credit the line for, for getting in there. But we have such a good secondary. It starts with, you know, it really starts with Will Harris. He sets the tone back there. He's he's so incredibly underrated back there as the captain of our defense. But every every big third down stop, that huge fourth down in the end zone that he uh finished off with the exclamation point that thank God wasn't targeting. He's in there on every single big play. So he I mean, he's just enormous. You know, you have Hamp. We're going to stop even telling you guys about Hamp's interceptions. We'll tell you when Hamp hasn't Picked a, a ball. I on mean, the Matt. He, it's just it's you, just easier at this point.
1: You understand that he literally signed an accord with all of the teams on the schedule that mandated that they don't have an offense. So he is preventing future aerial attacks by the Hampshire Accords. It's it's upsetting to me that I need to continue to explain this nickname not only to you but but kind of yeah, everyone I out know. there.
0: And it, it is in the fine print of that of that accords. Um, everyone knows that. So um, you know, important note there, Matt. Also, talk about. Another scoreless second half. So if if you do the numbers on this, and I did, Matt, call it Dootalytics. So we have back to back scoreless second halves. Matt, right? I just
1: mentioned this. Come on, man! Only only seven second halves, so seven points over the last three games.
0: Did you actually say that?
1: I, I said it word for word.
0: Shoot! All right. Um, so did you do the follow-up? <laughs> hey, Matt, that's a that's a real credit to our conditioning as well as halftime adjustments. And, <laughs> and really... I, did. I
1: missed that point, so thank you.
0: Okay. All right. Cool. Gee, I can't believe you said that. Maybe we'll cut some of this out. Uh, anyway, so, um, but I'll tell you what, it also just, it, it's huge when our defense is clicking because I, I guess it's huge when our offense is clicking, right? And it, it helps keep the defense off the field. So that's a big part of this too. You, know, you, you just get kind of the, uh, the, the you see what happens when, you know, you call a good offensive game plan. Those guys can stay on the field. It allows the defense to kind of bring it 100% every single play. Well, so.
1: and you touched on it a little bit too, but where we excel is that we really don't have a major weak point on our defense. So it's, you know, even if, and I do think we have some elite units obviously but even if we didn't just having a bunch of above average units they all work so well together so you get you know we get a great pass rush which causes some bad balls to end up in the air which allows our secondary to absolutely feast so everything working in concert with each other you know really does make us dangerous and I don't I don't honestly know how I would um you know attack us other than I guess just a bunch of you know draw plays and hope that everyone backs up and you can get you know 6 7 yards but Honestly, that's about it. It's just been a, an absolute incredible performance. Uh, really, I guess over the last three weeks now, or two and a half weeks for these guys.
0: Yeah, and, and and we don't want the last two in particular. I mean, these are pretty, you know, two of the weaker offenses in the ACC, right? But um, you know, some of the some of the stuff we saw in the earlier parts of the year against Temple and Purdue um, was giving up the big play, right? And and you know, credit these guys for for kind of locking that down. There were no big plays whatsoever. I, I guess three three key. I have three things that we need to work on going forward. One I touched on is stopping the quarterback runs. We didn't really touch on special teams just because there wasn't much to report here, but our our defensive kickoff coverage was pretty poor. It, It really set up Miami's first two touchdowns. They only had to go down like 40 yards. And then you touched on the other thing, too, but converting in the red zone, you know, against the likes of Virginia Tech, uh, obviously Clemson um, and Syracuse and, and so on. We need touch, touchdowns moving in the red zone, not field goals. So three nitpicky things to, to work on going forward. But overall, a plus win uh, in my book there, Matt.
1: I, I could not agree more. Just a tremendous effort on all fronts, including coaching, which, you know, obviously you've, you've certainly co- covered. Looked like a different daz out there. Uh, anyways, let's keep it rolling into our dude pood and dude of the week. Why don't you kick it off here?
0: All right, I will start with my pood. How's that, Matt? Perfect. All right, rushing the field. Can we just can we get this over? Yeah, with? Yeah, I was.
1: I wanted to get. I wanted to get your thoughts on this one. I'm. I'm going to be a little different, but go ahead and explain your. Uh, your viewpoint here.
0: Well, I, I remember you know me and you and the and the boys and Ruby used to debate this all the time, right? Like, wh- what is the metric to storm the field? Like, what do you have to accomplish in order to you know for it to be reasonable in order to storm the field? And I know this is arbitrary, but I always thought top fifteen was kind of the number, right? And and I I would always err on the side of not doing it. And part of it's because I didn't get to do it during my time at BC. We did get to do it against USC, which was cool. But I, I don't like the loser mentality. And I, I'll concede that the red bandit red bandana game has you know special implications. So exactly. I'm not going to hate on it that hard. But uh, I just don't like that loser mentality, Matt.
1: Yeah. So you hit the you hit the nail on the head. This was only okay. And to be honest, I think only happened because it was the red bandana game period. It's a special night at Boston college, as we all well know at this point, I don't think this happens if this is a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday afternoon, obviously Uh, in terms of, you know, what actually you can justify it with. I think that it obviously depends a lot on where you are, as well as where the other team is. I think with the way this season has gone and, and kind of where we were sitting just outside the top 25, I think like it would have needed to be a top 10, uh, you know, if if not even higher than that, in order to to really justify it, but I think the only consideration that went into this, especially with them being basically unranked, was uh again that it was the red bandana night. All rules are out of the picture on red bandana night. All
0: right, I I'll, uh, I'm with you. I, I agree, and I won't say anything else about it. I just I want to make sure that we uh, we don't do that again. I guess against a an inferior foe, for example, um, if Virginia Tech was a home game, I know it's not, so it's not a great example, but. Uh, Syracuse? Syracuse. We better sure. not do it against. No, we better not do it against Syracuse. That would be. Well, bad it's doubt. a rivalry game, but we we should not storm the field again. if we beat Syracuse, right? Let's save that for for the Clemsons. Someone actually had a funny tweet that did you know? Uh, Kansas storms the field two thirds of the time yeah. they, that they that they win just because every win's an upset.
1: Yep. No, exactly. I think yeah, over the last like seven so, years, it's been it's been two thirds of the time. Yeah. Crazy so stuff. let's not.
0: Let's not turn into that. That's all I'm saying.
1: Fair point. Uh, All right, I'll go. I have two quick dudes that I'll run through. So the first one, uh, college football Saturdays after a weeknight BC win. I think we've definitely mentioned this before, probably on the previous episode after week and uh, maybe once or twice last year. But there's just nothing better than being able to relax on your Saturday, watch all the other teams in action, know that you have a win and know that. Really, you know, when you, when the games are all over on Saturday, you'll meet a better position than, than when you started because teams obviously can only lose. Uh, having that win in the bag and then being able to enjoy the rest of the games is an absolute tremendous experience. And then my second one, I have to give a big shout out to the ESPN broadcast overall. It's basically a a three hour long commercial for, for Boston College and Boston College football. McDonough and Blackledge did a great job talking about the Wells Crowther angle. Obviously the whole service to others piece. Uh, and then you know the football student experience in general. Basically, these guys aren't just football players; they're you know full members of the student body. They you know are bigger than just football players. So you know, quite frankly, it was a three-hour recruiting pitch. And I don't know if that's again because we have a good relationship with ESPN, some of the higher ups, or whatever it might be. But that was uh, that was pretty tremendous to watch.
0: Yeah, and McDonough is always. He, I mean, he's got a ton of Boston roots, right? And he, he just always kind of gets it. Um, but yeah, that was it. Was it was this game kind of way more than any other time I'd seen it. Where they were so pro BC, and maybe part of it's the Tessitore connection. I don't want to, you know, attribute all all of it to we that. We have so many
1: connections, honestly. It, we, we have it, so many BC connections,
0: and, and I'm sure we'll talk game day at some point. But talk about Tess- Tessitore being a complete X factor, by the way. But anyway, no, it's it helps when you when you're when you're winning. Obviously, it's easy to say, you know. This school is, is you know, obviously huge on academics, um, but turns out they got a pretty competitive football program, one of the top conferences. And then obviously the, the, the Wells Crowther uh, red bandana game goes without saying. I mean, that's just, you know, men and women for others, everything ties in perfectly. And, you know, all night it was, it was just an awesome job by, by everyone and obviously helps to get the result on the field as well.
1: Yeah, I hear you. So I do want to make one nitpick on the broadcast itself. So you talked about the target or the potential targeting play by Harris in the end zone late in the game there. So, one, they didn't do a good job of explaining targeting. So it, it was on fourth down. So a lot of people had questions of, okay, if it is targeting, does he just get ejected? But, you know, we still get the ball kind of like a, after the play, unnecessary roughness. Or does it give them a fresh set of downs? They brought the their officiating guy on. No one mentioned it. They basically just said, eh, it doesn't really look like targeting. So that was a little frustrating. And then worse, when they came back from commercial while they were reviewing it, they took like thirty seconds. They were they talking about forever. The, they were talking we, we, about the other like Boston team's successes and right. they did not mention it. They refused and
0: then, to show who had the ball.
1: Right, right. And then <laughs> I think after the play happened, they go, Oh yeah, and by the way, it was not targeting or something like that. But that was a, a I was basically getting as close to the TV as possible so I could make sure I heard anything for about two straight minutes and was just absolutely unbated breath. So that's my right. one knock you, I have to give there.
0: And you kind of figured if they were being so casual, then nothing had sure. nothing crazy been overturned. No, but but it would have been, you know, their ball on the, on the one yard line, right? Or I don't I know, think but no, that's not an after the play penalty. And it, it's always, you know, it's like a necessary roughness, but either way, it's, you know, it's going to be their ball. That's, it's still part of the play i guess if that makes sense i don't know that for sure i'm just i'm just talking here matt but no but thank god it was actually right after the uh you know wells's mom said you know i you know bc is obviously great and we we hope they win but you know the biggest thing is that they play with good sportsmanship yes, sports sure. to, to have to have a targeting you know right right as that happens it would not, not have idea. been ideal either so glad that worked out so i'll, I'll give you my dude um next guy i already did my poo. remember yep all right. So, breaking news. Um, although, when you by the time you guys hear this, it won't be breaking news. But it is tonight, uh, Tuesday night. BC is officially number twenty-two in the college football rankings. First time BC has been ranked uh, since the college football rankings have been a thing. And you know, obviously, this has been a you know pretty chaotic year in college football. Everyone's losing. You know, you touched on the the whole second half of the top twenty-five falling out uh, from this past weekend. It's still, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty cool to be in the mix there. And you know, we tweeted out uh, a couple days ago. But if we win out, correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt. If we win out, we have a 54% chance to make the playoff. Is that true?
1: It's up to 57 after these rankings have come out. Yeah. Wow. How
0: about that? It's huh? Crazy. So that, that's my dude. We're in the mix. We're we're playing meaningful football in our, in November. Not just meaningful to like, hey, we'll put up you know a seven and six year hopefully, but hey, you know we could be in the mix if everything kind of falls our way. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I, I'm I'm gonna partially put this in my pood. I'm prefacing it with you know it's not quite champagne problems, but it's a good week when this is my biggest pood. But there's a part of me after the Purdue game that is definitely a little bit gun shy about seeing a number next to our name again. I, again, to be clear, I'm, I'm very happy we're ranked. It's very exciting. Seeing our name on the CSPN show was tremendous, especially with how low things have been, you know, at BC over the last 10 years at many points. But it, it has to give you flashbacks to what we did coming into Purdue. I think people have, have mentioned it on the team or on the coaching staff that, you know, yeah, they might have let that number get to their head a little bit, overlooked Purdue at a noon start in the middle of nowhere. And you know, you hope that they've learned from that and, and won't want to get embarrassed twice in a row in a season after having that number next to them. But, you know, it, it definitely is a little concerning. It does put a target on us. It does probably get their fans a little more into this game than they might otherwise be. And again, we, we've we mentioned it now a couple of times, but last week, like literally every team ranked 15 or below lost. So definitely some concern there. But again, like I said, if that's my only negative on the weekend, uh, that's a pretty good weekend. So I'll take it.
0: Yeah, I was shocked, and Adazio just kind of says words sometimes, but (laughs) he said it it explicitly in his his presser, like, hey, uh, yeah, about that Purdue game, uh, we weren't prepared, (laughs) he kind of said that, and it's one of those things where, you know, being ranked for us was such uncharted territory that you don't know how to be a ranked team, and, you know, I guess... There's really it was a lesson they had to learn. I guess my point is right to to go to Purdue, who as we know is, is a good football team. They just had a bad loss this past weekend, but anyway, you know it was a lesson they had to learn. It, you know it'll make them a better football team this time around, right? That's at least what I'm going with. But anyway, Matt, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's a good segue into my due to the week. Oh, hang on, Ooh. actually
1: one one real quick. I just have one more quick pood. Uh, BC hockey lost like a million to nothing on I think Saturday or Thursday night. So things are not going so well there. Keep Matt, going, if
0: it Matt, it's listen, it's football season. Again, I hear you. To don't me, believe talk me, we talked to me about this. Saturday. I don't really week.
1: care, but it's worth noting. Talk to
0: me when Thatcher Demko's back with the squad. How's that? <laughs> That's all we're missing. So my dude of the week, before you interrupted there, Matt, is none other than Coach Steve Adazio. And I think it's one this of This was the most my, obvious dude of the week of all time for you, but yeah. I know, but it, Matt, it's been a, at least a couple weeks, right? <laughs> I was I, I was kinda cold. for me, I was pretty cold on Daz uh after NC State. But man, talk about using the, 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 you know, the two bye weeks or the, the bye, you know, the 14 days, uh, to his advantage, pulling out, you know, every trick in the book that, you know, by the way, we, we have done, you know, before and always works. But talk about completely out coaching Mark Richt, who, you know, is considered one of the top coaches in the country, right? I mean, he led Miami to a, you know, a coastal div- uh, division title last year, right? And, uh, you know, 10 and 1, whatever, whatever the record ended up being. But he's a good coach and he's, you know, SEC coach and, Everyone in the world, I think, would agree that Adazio outcoached Mark Richt, which I think is something yeah. that we can't say that often about our guys, much as we love them. Um, but even more than that, he just – he says all the right things. So, you know, both pre-game, pregame and postgame, you know, about what the red bandana means to BC and to this football team. And we say it all the time too, but this guy is such a great football coach in so many ways. The only thing he's missing is the actual coaching part. So when when he gets, a, you know, a win – he is the perfect coach in my mind. So, Coach Daz, due to the week, and hopefully, uh, I don't know, who, Bama? I, I don't know who's going to try to poach him after this year, but uh, NASA probably. And NASA
1: will take him and Lawflare as a package deal.
0: Actually, and I, this is jumping ahead to Eagles in the wild, I heard the Browns might be interested in, in Daz. Okay, fair point. From your sources in Chapel Hill, everyone wants a man. I, I'll tell you what, and he. Well, why don't you go ahead with with your dude? It actually is my eagle in the wild. Now I I at me.
1: I'm sure it is, and I'm sure you'll mention him somewhere in Dutius Corpus as well. If I know you, uh, my duty of the week, I got to go with Zach Allen. Obviously, he was a monster on the field on Friday night. He had a sack, one and a half tackles for loss, six tackles overall. But the big reason I'm putting it on here is his trash talk game just continues to one up itself week after week. So. He had a quip uh, in the press conference basically saying about how, you know, it means more to, to guys at BC. We play better when you're playing with your brothers to the left and the right, you know, rather than for some gimmick like the turnover chain. And and a note on that, I guess, as well, a, a quick shout out to the Will Harris with the turnover chain after, uh, after the game. That was an, an incredible photo. But, you know, I love seeing this team that is these normally quiet and, and calm and well-spoken guys. Just having that little subtle edge to them, that chip on their shoulder. And you, you touched on it a little bit earlier, but it is so much fun to watch. During the uh, the game as well, Holly Rowe mentioned it in one of her sideline pieces. But basically, he's so mild-mannered. He's a great chess player, all this. But he gets so intense on the field. And then he's so relentless when the chip on your shoulder and you know the talking shit afterwards after you've earned it. Did it with the Louisville slow people as well. Um, so this guy has just been an absolute rock star to watch in these post-game press conferences after victories when he's had a team put something on the bulletin board. So I think, like we said, we need to make sure this continues uh, week after week here.
0: And by the way, talk about future Eagles in the wild. There was a stat or a, a tweet that I think 12 uh, NFL teams were represented by scouts. Um, yeah, there we on have Friday a lot night.
1: of NFL talent on this team.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad that the guys that, you know, actually deserve to be highlighted, you know, absolutely showed up. Right. I mean, you talk about Allen. You, I mean, Will Harris, these guys are, are going to be, uh, you know, not just in the NFL, but these guys are going to be high, and, and we'll, we'll touch on uh, another eagle in the wild that almost single-handedly defeated the Pats last night, but these these BC guys, right? I mean, they they have a good head on their shoulders, and if they have the physical ability, they always turn out to be great pros, and I'm, I'm just glad that these guys are, are, are getting their due that they deserve, um, you know, from that standpoint. I
1: completely agree. Uh, we'll segue that into the Eagles in the wild, so I'll let you take Milano, as you uh, just alluded to there. I'm going to go with Dougie. Doug Flutie, number two, Heisman quarter. No, not number number two. No, number 22. Sorry. Uh, I got the A.J. Okay. Dillon, Zach yep. Allen thing mixed up in my mind. Yes. But anyways, he was back on campus Friday night for a reunion for, I believe, the 1983 team. But it's always electric when he comes back. He just like gets so into it. I feel like he absolutely loves... This opportunity to you know get back on campus and mix it up with the fans and be treated like the celebrity that he deserves to be treated. So, a uh, huge spark to the fans in attendance. Also, Matt Hasselback was there, because I think they were doing a 1993 one as well.
0: Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I think when the, when the team is is playing better, he's more likely to make an appearance on campus and start you know playing pickup just because. You know, when spirits are high, right, he wants to be a part of it. Um, so any any current students that are, you know, posting up on him in the Plex, just keep us posted on uh, on his whereabouts there. My Eagles in the Wild, I, I kind of spoiled both of them, Matt. I got too excited. But how about Matt Milano? Just absolutely playing Lockdown D on Gronk an last absolute night. Absolutely phenomenal game, yeah. Al- almost had a pick six in the fourth against Brady that would have brought the Bills back into it. Um, but he was all over the field, and, and the announcers were all over him too. But, uh, man, he, he's, a, he's an absolute Well, Tessator, you
1: know, got the BC connection. He's always going to hype
0: him up. Of course, of course. But even Witten, Witten and Booger and, and the whole, oh, the whole, the whole cast was, uh, was. Who's this BC kid? You know, that's just everywhere. So um, I also touched on the other one here, Matt. I did hear some legitimate interest from Twitter about Daz for the Browns job, and this is going to turn into just another, you know, due to the week part two for Coach Daz. But why wouldn't you want Daz right now? He's kind of like the anti Hugh Jackson, right? He's he's this charismatic, charismatic guy. He's awesome at player development. They have a ton of young players. He plays this physical, you know, no no nonsense brand of football. He hires good assistants. Uh, you know, just the list goes on and on about why Dash should you know could coach at any level he wants. Um, but hopefully that doesn't end up happening. Hopefully he's he's here for the next uh, you know ten years and beyond.
1: That's that would be that would be something. I'll just I'll leave it at that, uh, and I'll segue it into duty as corpus by saying that I think that. That would be, uh, he's innocent of being a serious candidate for the Cleveland Browns.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, the jury's, the jury's still out on that, I guess, Matt. Uh, but yeah, with that, let's uh, let's officially bring this into the courtroom. Uh, court is now in session.
1: All right. So let's start it off. There was obviously the big ACC game of the weekend, Clemson, Florida State. Absolute massacre. I'm charging Clemson with actually being really good. There's no surprise here. Every week they've been charged with being really good. They keep committing, I guess, crimes that uh, require them to come back into the court. Some major double jeopardy there. But they're really good every time, and they're definitely guilty. Florida State is bad again. Guilty of being bad again, which is great because I was pretty high on them actually after uh, their performance the week before. But I guess anybody can beat up on Wake Forest.
0: Remember you thought they had turned a corner? (laughs) I I sure not. Although it was kind of a funny game, right? It was a scoreless first quarter. Um, and then Clemson finally woke up, and they just they lit him up for like 52 in the next couple quarters. Um, and FSU quit some some point in the second quarter, I think, with which Taggart sort of acknowledged. One quick note on FSU: uh, Francois is banged up, um, and we obviously ate James Blackman's lunch last year um, for the Red Bandana game last year, so that could be big for uh, for our chance against Florida State. Not that we're worried.
1: Absolutely. Next one I'm bringing into the courtroom is your boys, Syracuse. Dungy was back last week, had a big win over NC State. Matt,
0: permission to approach the bench. Yeah, please please do. Can I take this one? Eric yeah, Dungy, absolutely. who you said was just down and out. Um, I don't know, if I don't know what hurt. happened. I don't know where he came from. Yeah, I think he got pulled because Tommy DeVito, your boy, was in there last right, week. Right, right. 400 yards, three touchdowns. I think part of it, too, is, is Clemson officially broke NC State, and it's too bad that just the scheduling didn't work out. I mean, we would have just absolutely lit NC State up the way that we're playing now compared to the way they're playing now. And I, I won't say a bad word against Daz about about that game. That's over. Maybe we can discuss in my, in my chambers afterwards. But um, talk about just a missed opportunity. But man, it doesn't matter, right? We'd be in the same exact spot. Otherwise, we'd be ranked, you know, probably a little bit higher. But at the end of the day, we'd still have to beat Clemson in, in order to control our ACC destiny.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I'm going to charge them with being guilty of being overrated. They were number 19 in the poll in the uh, college football ranking that came out tonight. I I think that number is way too high. I I think that. To be honest, I think that if we were to play them right now, we would be a somewhat significant favorite. I mean, obviously not like the 10-point range, but I think we'd be, you know, six to seven-point favorites at home. Uh, Overall, I do think they are significantly overrated. But, again, they're they're continuing to surprise teams and uh, giving themselves a very exciting season. I'll definitely give them credit for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right, let's take a step outside the ACC. Um, Obviously, the the huge game, really the game of the season potentially, is uh, Bama-LSU this weekend. Um, and Matt, I got a hot take for this one. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. So Bama hasn't played a close game all year. And I, I tell you what, Matt, I, I believe in this LSU defense. I believe in Coach O. I, I, they have a great uh, Masters online master's program, which I'm a proud alumnus of. I think they're going to be fired up that they're half point dogs in Death Valley. I get LSU pulling the upset in this one.
1: Well, the other thing that's, that's worth noting too is that Alabama has zero strength of schedule. They don't, they not only have not played a a close game, they haven't played a tough game all year long. If you look at, and and that's why a lot of people coming into tonight were saying there was a good chance that the committee would put Clemson as number one, just because in terms of what, you know, they've done, the body of work, Clemson has had a much harder strength of schedule, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, you could charge, the charge would be that Louisville, ha- or I'm sorry, that LSU has you know no shot being 14 point dogs, and I would say that that I would throw that charge completely out. Uh, I'm with you. I think they have a great shot to pull this upset. It would be very interesting because it would certainly shake up the college football playoff a little bit. Because I think even a one loss Alabama with that one loss to LSU would still be in the top four uh, come next Tuesday night. But yeah, w- w- I'm certainly very very excited for that one. I think that's uh, obviously going to be the game of the weekend. And uh, it could be one of the better ones that we have all season.
0: Yeah, because otherwise you have no admissible evidence uh, about Bama, right? It, it's it, it's sort of a, a mistrial from that standpoint. Matt,
1: did you did you buy some sort of glossary this week about legal terms? You're kind of Matt, on fire Yeah, you,
0: you should see the website that's pulled up uh, on the <laughs> left-hand side of my screen here. Okay. Yeah, it, it is uh, A to Z legal terms is the website. So.
1: Okay, interesting. Uh, the only other one I do want to touch on here, and I, it, just bringing it in as a charge, because I don't want to get too far ahead because we do have to get through Vatek and we do have to talk about Vatek. But I want to charge us getting game day if we win this weekend. I think we're guilty. And we talked about it a little bit a couple episodes ago. We kind of broke it down. But if we look at it, especially where we fell in this rankings here, let's say we, let's say we beat Vatek, which is certainly no gimme. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. If we beat Vatek, we'll be somewhere in the 15 to 20 range this time next week. Clemson will kill Louisville, I at least – uh, would be shocked if that didn't happen by 30 touchdowns and they'll still be clearly in the driver's seat in the college football playoff We're the only or will be the best ranked team best ranked game the following saturday like we've said many times now espn and bc definitely have a nice little love affair there there's a lot of connections haven't been to bc in since 2009 there's a lot of factors going our way uh we've definitely tweeted some stuff out and there was a, a Nice fan shot by uh, our Presidente from the class of 2013 on BC Interruption. Worth a worth a read as well. It kind of breaks everything down. But I, I personally think we're guilty, and I think that this game or this game day will be coming to Chestnut Hill for a night game next Saturday, again, with the big if that we can get over the hump this weekend.
0: Yeah, Matt, I tell you what, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much. And I throw a lot of things out here, um, both in this podcast just in, in life as well, just say words, right? This one actually came true. I, I said a couple weeks ago, I said, hey, if all these things happen, and they're, Matt, they're starting to happen here. Uh, I think you, you hit on everything, right? And and just to bring a, a legal twist into this, um, so everyone knows the difference between a civil and criminal case, right? In civil, it's just a preponderance of evidence that you have to prove. And then uh, in a criminal court, you have to prove beyond reasonable doubt, right? In this case, just to bring it back to, to football here, Matt, the schedule's so weak, and all the other, you know, weeks are already taken or the teams have already, you know, game day has already done the other teams. Right. We just it's a civil it's a civil case right now. So we it's just tort. have to not. It's a tort. I it think. almost it's is a tort. I'm, I'm glad you said that, Matt. And uh, we just have to not screw up in game days. You know, essentially all ours. I, I'm with you. I think if we take care of business against Virginia Tech and look good doing it, um, we're talked to talk. We have the A.J. Dillon angle. We got the Steve Adazio just being electric. We got Joe Tess. There's too many variables going our way to not get game day.
1: No, I completely agree. That was great testimony that you delivered there. I'm actually on the same glossary website as well. Apparently, I'm just in the tease section. Uh, but yeah, no, I completely agree. So there is there is a ton riding on this Saturday. Let's adjourn this court and let's get into the task at hand.
0: Matt, good duty corpus there. Court is officially adjourned.
1: All right. So we got 20 minutes now to talk Hokies and to get through this game and everything that, that we have going on on Saturday. Let's run quickly through our uh, lead up segments is which we all know the fun fact, the Matt, famous.
0: Do you want to just skip the top five Hokies? Do you, are do you, you kidding skip me? Okay, here we go. I,
1: I, okay. I have been waiting for this. So again, just a reminder because we played Virginia Tech previously, we've already done their notable alumni. So now we are doing their top five plus six man notable Hokies. Uh, obviously this is going to be a little harder than the top six Cardinals and when the top six Tigers come to town next weekend, but we're going to do the best we can. So. I'm going to start it off with the fun facts and I'm going to keep it on kind of the hokey note. So I'm going to keep it Turkey specific. So I have two Turkey facts here. Uh, one turkeys can fly up to 55 miles an hour, which is way faster than I thought. I thought they were a purely sedentary bird. So I was a little surprised about that. Um, and then Ben Franklin, your boy, you're down in Philly now, wanted the Turkey to be the national bird, not the bald Eagle, which is again, kind of funny with an Eagles Turkey matchup this weekend.
0: How about that? And by the way, we, that was a close call, huh? Yes, yeah. that would have been really bad. Bald Eagle, such really a really bad for the brand. Yeah, wow, yeah, that's unreal. Um, all right, I'll give, I'll give you mine next, and this is recycled from last year, but I love it, so I don't. I don't actually feel that bad. And if you were a listener last year, I apologize, but this is where we're at. Um, Bruce Arians holds the Virginia Tech record for most rushing touchdowns in a season with eleven, which is more than either Vic brother or Tyrod Taylor or any other mobile quarterback. That that is this just that's just for Tech. quarterbacks, right? Uh, correct. Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. 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 No, that absolutely that that fact will blow my mind every single time.
0: And I I just can't imagine him running. Uh, forget you know running eleven times for touchdowns more than more than Michael Vick. But who was his roommate? Um, did he have, did he have a famous roommate that we mentioned in the notable alumni last year? Yeah, Matt. It's James Barber, who by himself isn't that notable, but he is because a um, uh, he was the first black player to share a dorm room with a white player. He's also the father of the Barber twins, Rondé and Tiki.
1: Ah. That's right. Okay, that'll do it. So awesome! That was there. That was fun. I'm, I'm glad I got to. I'm glad I got to hear that one again. That's yeah, a good absolutely, one anyway.
0: Matt. I want to take the the first hokey here, if you don't mind. So of we'll, course, you because I think you have a good list. I think you're better at the, the Hokies than I am here. And the way this is going to work is because there is only one hokey, and it is the ones that belong to Virginia Tech. Um, turkeys and other similar birds are allowed, right? We agreed on that before yes, pre-show. Yep, Matt. Absolutely. All right, my first hokey is going to be bowling a turkey. That's a good That was on my list. You like That's that a good one. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. Um, so backstory, you know, the, the origin, why it's called the turkey. In the 18th century, they used to dole out turkeys to anyone that bowled three strikes in a row, um, which was obviously difficult to do back back then. Um, you know, we didn't have the, the technology and the bumpers and all that that we do these days. Um, Matt, did you know that four consecutive strikes is a hand bone and a perfect game <laughs> is called a dinosaur? Although I don't think they hand, handed those out.
1: Can't can't say any this. Hey, shout out Mookie Betts, by the way. Yes. Good one. Future MVP and and uh you know, one of the great bowlers out there. I'm he's sure he's bold, got many he's turkeys in his day.
0: And dinosaurs, Matt.
1: And dinosaurs, I guess so. All right. Well, so there are two other uh blatant hokies out there that that you I can't believe this one didn't go first overall, so I'm just gonna take it. Uh the hokey pokey. Obviously, that is by far and away the most well known hokey. I would argue even more so than the Virginia Tech Hokies. It's a, a just a classic song and dance. Uh, in the, in American culture, so that's so Matt, a, way, a, a clear number one overall pick.
0: That kind of screws my intro for next week. I was saving that. Yeah, for uh, I think intro you still, next week. You can still to say use it. either BC did the Hokey Pokey, so yeah. But now that's ruined. So I'll I to, think you we, can still use it. I, I'll I have won't. to rewrite that
1: one. <laughs> okay, uh, and then the other one in Harry Potter and the Half Blood Prince, there is a house elf by the name of Hokey. Uh, it is what Hezebah Smith is the owner. It did not make the movie um but in specifically in one of the memories that harry sees in the pensive in harry Bo- in harry potter and the half-blood prince he sees this uh memory from the 50s it has something to do with tom riddle and Hoki is the house elf of hebzibah smith yeah so we'll tell have to you get, what uh what we'll to get resident harry potter fan patrick tolls on the horn to confirm that but Ooh. according to wikipedia that is accurate
0: gotcha yeah i i let's pa- let's call pat i got his number you got his number uh, I think I do somewhere which is which is noteworthy dangerous uh, yep. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'm in the one percent of Harry Potter fans, and uh, I didn't know that Matt, so we'll we'll fact check that for sure. Um, I have one that's relevant to you. Um, Little Turkey um, is my fourth this seems offensive.
1: Here. I'm just gonna get in front of that.
0: Yeah, she was a, a cher- or he what is either he or she uh, was a Cherokee leader from the 1700s and presumably a descendant of your gal, Elizabeth Warren. Um, and then in my fifth hole, the Gobbler Sandwich, Matt, is a obviously a Thanksgiving-themed sandwich um, with all the fixings, stuffing, cranberry sauce, um, etc. And I'm a Philly guy now, as you mentioned. Apparently, Wawa does a great rendition of the Gobbler. So oh, we'll I'm,
1: I would imagine that, yeah. A, a we'll a keep gas you guys station. posted on that. I would imagine a gas station just makes a phenomenal uh, Matt, Thanksgiving left. That doesn't sandwich.
0: offend Maybe You can't say that down here.
1: <laughs> Fair point. Uh, all right. With the sixth and final pick I'm going with a guy by the name of Turkey Stearns. He is a baseball Hall of Famer, played from 1920 to 1940 in the Nero leagues. He was an outfielder and he batted 344 lifetime, which is absolutely tremendous. And he was posthumously, uh, inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2000. So that's a phenomenal career, 20 years and hitting 344. That's like legitimately unfathomable. Uh, so well deserved turkey stern's great nickname
0: yeah great Matt a uh, couple honorable mentions for me um, one is Turkey North Carolina um, it's a very small town as of the last census it had a population of 292 um, fun fact about them is they apparently often receive mail from the country of Turkey which seems like a, a pretty you know good-sized screw up there by the that's postal tough. service that's not um, ideal my other honorable mention is dark meat I like the dark meat Matt on Thanksgiving
1: Okay, fair. Uh, so I'll keep it on the food note, my honorable mention. I was going to give a shout out to Boar's Head Smoked Turkey. That's far and away my favorite lunch meat. Uh, throw that on a sandwich. Kind of similar, I guess, to the to the Thanksgiving that you mentioned, but uh, just phenomenal. And then I will mention the country as well. There's obviously not many uh, countries in the world that share a name with a mascot we play. So I think that is noteworthy of a honorable mention.
0: Nice, Matt. I like that. Uh, good segment there. I'll tell you what, we uh, that, that took hours out of my day today to come up with those, so I hope you guys appreciate those. Um, all right, Matt, let's talk tailgate ability. Um, travel ability, it's a road game. Uh, you're right. Well, but you can tailgate once you travel there, right? So, sure,
1: but the rating, the rating scale is different.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, Matt, mine's more focused on the tailgate than anything else. I'll just jump right into it. Um, obviously, the Eagles are heading down to Blacksburg this weekend. First time we've had real meaningful football in November in a long time, so that that's obviously you know brings this up to at least I don't know the, in the twenty seven plus range just by that alone. Obviously, huge game, ACC implications, etc. The tailgate scene down there is pretty legit. I did some research on this. I saw some video where like Avicii, it wasn't Avicii. I mean, he's no longer with us, but someone like Avicii was performing at a frat house um, pre-game. So um, you know, based on that anecdote. I think they do a pretty good job with the tailgate. I also saw that – remember the uh, Eastern Carolina game that was canceled? Mm-hmm. Apparently, they still tailgated that. It was a great tailgate scene for that canceled game. So, um, And then, Matt, we talked about it on the pod last year, but I was down in South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, for the BC-Virginia Tech game last year. Not to watch the game, obviously, but just uh, you know, I was down, happy to be down there. Met up with some Virginia Tech folks at the Virginia Tech bar, and they're just the nicest guys in the world down there, Matt. So, uh, So they're great. And then last thing here, I always wanted to see the the Enter Sandman thing in person. So for all those reasons, uh, I have it at 28.9, which I know is is high. That's really high. high. It is high, Matt. But tell you what, I'm just jacked up for this game.
1: So I'm really excited for this game, too. I'm going to tell you why that's way too high. So uh, first to note on the weather, pretty good football weather, Uh, partly cloudy, high of 50. We'll be in the mid 40s for most of the tailgating game. So that's just a good fall Game in the Northeast, uh, which you know you like to see if you're a team coming from Boston. So the negatives here is it's a not in a city and it's hard to get to. So versus you know us going down to Raleigh and having a great time and having things to do outside of just tailgating, uh, you know for the Friday and, and Saturday night. That is a definitely a, a black mark against against Blacksburg. Uh, no pun intended. When they are good, like you said, it is one of the best home atmospheres in college football. But. They're off a brutal loss. They're, they're in danger of this becoming a lost season. So I'm a little worried that the crowd will be out of it, which is, again, obviously good for BC and the game itself. But in terms of the atmosphere, it definitely knocks it down a peg. Um, and same with the midday kickoff. It's great overall for fans, for both watching and, honestly, I'm sure those tailgating. But it definitely takes something out of the atmosphere a little bit. They say there's nothing like a night game at Lane Stadium. Uh, but, again, like you said, at the end of the day, we're good. This game really matters for us. And it's a, a huge hurdle for us to get over, I want to say, um, you know, in order for us to continue this special season that we're having. So with all that said, I'm going 24.6, 28.9 is just way too high. Again, that's- I think
0: you're too low. I think you're absolutely too low there. Let's meet in the middle. All right. Let's call it 28.9. Matt, fun fact, I want to do a new segment here called Drink of the Week. And this is a little anecdotal as well, but those Virginia Tech folks I I met up with last week or uh, last year, um, they do this drink where it's famous at Virginia Tech, all the cheap bars serve it. Um, it's called a rail remember that did we talk about this last year we might have but it's basically a combination of every single alcohol it's vodka rum gin tequila bourbon everything all into one and then they throw some fruit stuff in there too and it comes out in this pink drink and apparently you can get them for like three bucks a pop uh, down in Blacksburg so and they're these huge like they give you you know 22 ounces. it's very dangerous but it's like their own special jungle juice down there so official drink of the tailgate this weekend
1: all right that is a that is a fun fact and thank you for uh, for sharing that with all of us so we have about 10 minutes left here to actually get into the game and talk about, obviously, the very important game that is going to take place on Saturday afternoon in Blacksburg. Uh, I'll just start it off and just kind of state the obvious, what I think is the obvious. Votech is is actually pretty bad this year. Uh, they're terrible on defense. Their defense is, is absolutely atrocious, as we'll get into in a minute. Their offense is okay. Um, and if you look at what they've done to get here, they had that terrible loss to Old Dominion, fresh off being destroyed by Georgia Tech last, I believe, Thursday night. Looking at the stats, they're 64th ranked in the adjusted, uh, S and P plus, which I do think is a pretty good, uh, you know, indicator of, of what actually, uh, you know, ends up, ends up being the reality here. So on the defensive side of the ball, they are second to last in the entire FBS in defensive explosiveness, which basically means they give up the second most, uh, long plays on defense. So, uh, on the ground, that is. So Dylan is going to have his chance to hit home runs, which is, you know, obviously, what we need to run out of the gate here and, and storm away with a big victory. If we look at them on offense here, uh, again, it's not as bad as the defense. Josh Jackson, their starting quarterback, went down with a broken leg against Old Dominion. Now starting this kid Ryan Willis, who transferred from, I believe, Kansas. He's actually not bad this year, at least statistically, uh, in his four games or so that he started. Sixty percent, ten touchdowns, three picks, uh, and three touchdowns on the ground. So he definitely does seem to be the shining star on offense, but you know again we talked about this a lot at the beginning of the year in our season previews these guys got absolutely decimated in the offseason from suspensions dismissals drafts and it was pretty much all on defense so uh they're going to be a pretty weak unit i think coming in here georgia tech put up like 80 points on them or something stupid last week so uh and again with with them being especially bad on the run i think they gave up 420 something yards on the ground Last week, I think this is going to be a field day for A.J. Dillon and all of the boys out there.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, this is not the Virginia Tech that we're used to seeing. Um, and they've historically always been solid, right? They have a legendary defensive coordinator and Bud Foster. Um, and, but, you know, in recent years, you know, last year and, and even the year before, right? Um, they had a pretty good offense with, with Fuente and, and obviously Josh Jackson um you know we all remember they lit us up back in 2016 49 to nothing um you know one of the low points in bc football um and and they we really didn't give them that much of a shot uh last year either um they they pulled away pretty handily um in the second half you know tough third quarter for us this year it's a different story right i mean they don't have the you you touched on the attrition right and we knew that coming in In addition to their defense being, as you said, decimated by a whole host of issues, including you know academics off the field, weird issues, uh, their co-defensive coordinator got caught using some his recruiting trips as like that's a wild story, yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's insane, right? So this this scene, this team has seen uh some chaos and have not been able to recover. They also lost a lot of skill guys on offense, right? You remember those big receivers they they've always had, um. So in a year where they really need to rely on the defense, when, you know, Jackson went down and they have a backup quarterback in, their defense has been the issue more than anything, uh, like you said. So um, I I think that, you know, any time you give up 49 to Old Dominion, uh, you know, that's a red flag. Obviously, they gave up 45 to Notre Dame and then 49 to to Georgia Tech, uh, 485 yards on the ground um, to a team that does not have A.J. Dillon, I would just add. Um, these guys are, are sort of in big trouble, I think. Uh, but with that said, right, they're 4-3. and three, They're 3-1 three and one in conference play. Uh, they still have to play Miami and UVA. So I didn't fact check this, but I believe they still control their own destiny. So it's not like they won't be up for this game. Uh,
1: I think Virginia officially does. But I guess actually they might too because they're playing Virginia at the end of the year. That's I mean, what I'm the, saying, right? So yeah. if they're
0: 3-1 and one in conference by definition and, and they still play Miami and UVA, I still think they're in the driver's seat if they went out.
1: Yeah, th- that's fair. And, and again, we can definitely fact chat that later. I mean, I, what I'll ultimately say is this is a game that we absolutely need to have, both in terms of where we are as a program and where the ACC is as a program. It's been very clear that the ACC is in a down year. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see a time where vatech FSU, Miami, Louisville are all kind of this under par as they, as they normally are at the same time. So this is the game we absolutely need to have in terms of making this the special season that I think we all want it to be. You know we we all know that there's a ton of a line in terms of you know we want to talk about game day next week or we want to talk about still controlling our destiny in the ACC, whatever it is. So it's a huge game in, and I, I really do think with the number next to our name, the, the the dudes will be up for it and they'll be ready to go. Um, definitely some points of concern. I mean, at the end of the, it is still Bud Foster versus Leffler. Foster runs the same scheme as basically what Purdue did, which we know gave us trouble, and it's pretty much always given us trouble with the exception of the Tyler Murphy year in the past. Lane Stadium is always hard, even if their crowd is not 100%. We were practicing with the volume on, on max in the uh, IPF this, this week to basically prepare for a potentially very hostile environment. And, you know, again, we said last time we were there, 49 nothing. Zach Allen, oh, here we go, actually, by the way. This is the chip on the shoulder that we need. Zach Allen even mentioned this in his uh, press conference this week about saying, like, we're not forgetting about what happened last time we were down there, 49 nothing. So that's actually huge, and that might uh, make me feel a little bit even more optimistic about this game. So that's great news. Uh, only other thing I'll say is don't look ahead to Clemson. The Avoid the curse of the AP poll. Don't implode like we did last time after being ranked, and I'll just keep going into my prediction here. A win will mean so much for next week. So this does have me nervous because there is a ton on the line, and I think that this is a game that the BC that we've – come to know over you know the, the previous ten years loses but the old this is PC a new team.
0: loses this game a hundred times out of 100. I, I,
1: exactly. This is Syracuse. This is everything else you could roll in here. But this is a new team. This is a new time and, and it's a new opportunity for us to continue to ascend. So we have an absolute offensive explosion on the ground, led by our guy AJ Dillon. Dylan comes all the way back. He's got like a million touchdowns. And we pull away somewhat comfortably 40 to 17. And let me just add, by the way, my margin of victory was only a point off uh, against Miami. So credit to me. And hopefully, Matt, it stays I was going to give here. it to you.
0: Remember, I ridiculed, I ridiculed your you uh, prediction yeah, you really last did. week and you, you nailed it. So uh, I guess I'll, I'll take this one a little more seriously. Um, and I want to believe you. And I, I said it on, on Twitter or something earlier. It's just, you know, if these guys give up this many points to Georgia Tech, you know, what can it Can this be AJ Dillon's, you know, 300 yard game, right? That he's due for? Um, I think if, if it was AJ Dillon at 100%, we'd have a shot at it. Um, but I think there's also a lot of variables that, that people aren't really taking into, into consideration. Um, you, you touched on a couple of them, right? Anytime you go to Blacksburg, it's, that's not an easy place to play. Um, Bud Foster always seems to step up in big games and he has history, uh, with Loffler, obviously. There's a lot of ways to think of this game going against BC, right? um we sort of emptied the kitchen sink i keep saying that wrong man we threw the kitchen sink you can't empty i, I, I like it sink. I, yeah
1: i liked it we we emptied the kitchen sink i like we it.
0: emptied the kitchen sink uh last week right do we have anything left do we have anything else up our sleeve that Matt, you know, we have a rolodex i i know we have one play left we can't run that every time matt <laughs> um and then i guess last thing i mean i don't know it's uh i i, I love coach das you know more than life itself but Fuentes is a really good coach, and he's, uh, you know, he doesn't necessarily have the personnel. Um, but these guys just got embarrassed at home uh, versus Georgia Tech last week. They're gonna be playing, uh, they're gonna be playing mad. So with all that said, um, I got BC in a tight one. I got our defense stepping up huge against, you know, not that impressive of, of an offense. Um, I got BC in a tight one, twenty to thirteen, and just a slog it out, physical game. Um, we we get out of there with a win, and we're on to Clemson.
1: All right, well, you scared me there for a minute. I thought you were going to do the unthinkable and uh, go against BC in this special year.
0: Never. Can you imagine if we picked against them, you know, this game? That would be really bad. Or, or really, the rest of the year. I am mean, not going to pick against them versus Clemson. I know every every single, you know, sign says we should, but that ain't happening this year, pal. No, I,
1: I could not agree more. But yeah, I mean, you, you and I will be watching together down at the Philly Game Watch on Saturday. So expect a lot of good content out of Twitter and the gram at 4th and Dude. Things always get, you know, fun when the boys get back together. There is an awful lot on the line this week, like we've said. Game day hopes, ACC title hopes, climbing up the ranks, pressure packed Lane Stadium, everything included. But it is one game at a time. It is a one-game season at this point, And I have full trust in our dudes to keep it rolling on Saturday. And at the end of the day, Matt, the road to the ACC championship will still go through Chestnut Hill.
0: It's always a great day to be a dude.